All right, welcome to Divine Judgment Lesson 8, Jehovah El Nakama, which is the God of vengeance. And that is not something we were ever taught back in Sunday school, that one of God's divine names is I am the God of vengeance. We, we know all about the redemptive names because those are the ones that are encouraging, but this is still one of his names. And I must honestly tell you, in my 25 years of studying the Bible and listening to thousands upon thousands of CDs and tapes and podcasts and services, I've never heard anything about Jehovah El Nakama, and yet it's in the Bible. So that's what this lesson's all about, because we can't talk about divine judgment without vengeance. And so when you talk about uh, God being a judge and dropping the gavel, there is always retribution. When the gavel is dropped in a court of law, and our courts of law come from the Bible, they're based on biblical principles and patterns, when there's a, a gavel drop, there is a, a judicial decision made, and there are times when what is met out is vengeance. And so let's look at this so we can uh, begin to move along, because again, it's five pages. God is not just the God of love. And I'm so over all that. Thankfully, he does love us, but I'm over this love, 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 love because it's not balanced, at least not the way modern man expects it to be. He is also the righteous judge, and love demands judgment, and holiness demands righteous judgment. Sometimes righteous judgment demands vengeance. As it turns out, God is also the God of vengeance, and we need to be very, very mindful of that. He is the Lord God and he changes not. So we've been combating that over and over again because there is this understanding, albeit falsely, that God got saved at Calvary and he's not the meanie weenie of the Old Testament, which is such heresy. We get saved at Calvary. God does not change. And now he has better reason and more cause to extend mercy and grace. But there he's still a God of judgment. He's still a God of wrath and he's still a God of vengeance. God does not change. He has forever been and will forever be the God of vengeance. Thank God that is not all he is, but it is one of his many traits. And if we're going to understand our God, we've got to understand how he is a God of vengeance. And so that's why we have uh, gone into such great detail on this subject of vengeance. So Psalm 94, verses 1 and 2, this is where we get this. It says, O Lord, God of vengeance. So the psalmist, David, proclaims it, O Lord God of vengeance, or O Jehovah El Nakama, God of vengeance, shine forth. So when you invoke God by his name of vengeance and you say, show up and show out, you're not asking for healing. You're not asking for money. That would be Jehovah Jireh, shine forth. That means I need something. I need supply. Jehovah Rapha, shine forth. I need healing. David says, O God of vengeance, shine forth. And this is part of our, our ability in Christ to invoke the vengeance of God when we need it. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the arrogant. And as we have to point out tactfully, this is David commanding God. And tactfully, God obeys. Do we not pray to move God? Is not God's movement in response to our prayer? That's hard to hear when we know we're servants, we're his slaves, we're his purchased possession. But yet that is how prayer works. We say, oh, God, do. 
and he hearkens, which in the Hebrew means to hear and obey. Now, we don't command God. We don't boss him, but we can invoke his nature and his characteristics when it's fitting. And that is certainly something David did, not being born again, not being blood-bought, but having a right relationship with him. He could invoke the vengeance of God, and the God of vengeance would show up and shine forth. And I don't think you want to be on the back end of that barrel. I kind of, having studied the life of David, when he prays against enemies, they don't exist after a couple days. You didn't want to be on the bad side of David. One of the divine names of God is Jehovah El Nakama, the Lord God of vengeance. The Hebrew understanding of vengeance is identical to ours. That is, infliction of injury, infliction of harm, humiliation, or the similar, or on a person by another who has been harmed. So this is the understanding of vengeance in the Hebrew and in the Greek. It's an infliction of injury, harm, humiliation, or anything like that on a person by another who has been harmed. So it is vengeance. You are avenging or revenging. You are, in a sense, getting back. And it isn't a good get back. It is negative. However, the Hebrew word possesses legal connotations, as in this is a term of law. It indicates that biblical vengeance is used to preserve or used to, in the preservation of justice. Though vengeance has a negative connotation today, the biblical usage implies lawfulness, justice, and salvation. That's where things differ. He is the righteous judge. And when he makes a judicial decision, many times the gavel drops and it looks like vengeance. Harm or humiliation is brought upon someone in retribution or recompense for the righteous, the upright, the innocent. And we see that today when you go to court or law and you sue someone and the judge renders a decision and he drops the gavel and he says, you must pay them $50,000. That is vengeance. If someone is killed in a car accident, they call that manslaughter, it was an accidental death, they could go to jail. That is vengeance. And it is met out by a righteous judge in line with the laws of the land. <clears throat> we understand that in our nation there's perverse judgment, and oftentimes criminals don't get what they deserve. And we call that uh, a violation of justice, and it's wicked. In this psalm, Psalm 94, the psalmist requests the vengeance of God or the God of vengeance to shine forth, or as the Hebrew also says, send out beams of light. That's literally what it means. Send out your beams of light. So evidently, those beams of light include vengeance. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. We, we just think of his light shining forth and it just being sunshine and daisies. But that's not, that's not what the Bible's teaching. God's light doesn't just shine forth with blessings. He also emanates vengeance. Remember in the last day, the glory of God's countenance is so fierce and holy, it will melt heaven and earth. And that is vengeance. And make a new heaven and a new earth. Sometimes vengeance is so necessary, you just need to wipe something out and start over. God's divine light brings justice, and some justice requires vengeance. 
So I want us to understand, we, underst we get vengeance as I'm going to get back. I'm going to get even. I'm going to render evil for evil or eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But vengeance is a legal term in the Hebrew that can only be distributed by the righteous judge. And since that is neither you nor me, as we're about to see here, we biblically have no right ever to seek vengeance by our own hand. We'll pervert it. We can't be trusted with vengeance. The laws of our land do allow for crimes of passion and self-defense. I'm, I'm thinking now of a man in Texas who found one of his, he was a rancher this a couple years ago, and he found one of his hired hands molesting his child, and he beat the man to death with his fists. I get it. I get it. And the law says nothing to see here. Shall we pay for your hands to be repaired? Because we know you broke every bone in your hands on that man's face. I get that kind of vengeance. And I don't think God holds that man guilty of anything but justification. But biblically, we don't have place for that. We just, I just want to be clear. Because right now in our condition in this nation, things are on edge and everybody's wanting vengeance. And we're a powder keg waiting to blow. But right now, we are people of prayer, and we seek God. If you're not in the presence of God, you can't trust anything you're thinking, doing, or saying anyway. Vengeance belongs to God alone. That's our next section. It is of utmost importance that we recognize that vengeance does not belong to us. We're Americans, and we don't believe that. <laughs> we, we have spent 100 years developing a bigger stick with atomic capabilities. And then we shrunk the big stick and put it in subs, a hundred of them around the world. And you never know when one of those subs might pop up and launch one of those little sticks at you with 72 tactical warheads and take out half your coast. That's vengeance and retaliation. Of course, we know it's, it is, um, it's a Cold War technique. It's, we have it, so don't mess with us. But as Christians, we've got to get this into our head. We, we don't seek vengeance on our own. We let God do this for us. We are not holy or just enough, especially when we've been wronged and our emotions are in overdrive. Amen, amen, amen. And I, I'm a man. Men get this all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've daydreamed murder. Are the men especially when your wife or your children. I can't tell you how many times in my mind I visited a neighbor who was sped through my neighborhood and threatened to burn their house down in my mind <laughs> or vandalize their car because my mind says, if they hit one of my kids driving like an idiot through my neighborhood, I'll just have to burn their house down. That's my emotions. That's my carnal nature. And I usually grit my teeth and say, God, help me have mercy. <sighs> but I sure wish they'd slow down in my neighborhood. <laughs> we are not holy or just enough to accurately exact vengeance. We have to get a hold of our emotions and commend people over to God. We must leave vengeance in the hands of God and his ministers of vengeance. And the Bible does tell us he has ministers of vengeance. We know them as soldiers, police officers, judges, now, it should come as no surprise right now in our nation. We're seeing a call to totally do away with police. 
which is wicked. Because the Bible says, even though there are bad apples in the bunch, that officers of the law are God's ministers of vengeance. And if we disband them, we cut off one of God's hands. Now, there are corrupt cops and there are corrupt teachers. There are corrupt politicians, like mostly. There are corrupt Hollywood players, mostly. Every segment of life, corrupt priests, corrupt pastors, corrupt postal workers. Back in the 90s, we had this term called going postal. Some of you are too young, but in the 90s, there was a a rash of postal workers who would just flip their switch, went in and shot up the post office. They worked for the post office. So we have this term in our vernacular now called going postal. But if we defund the police, you get anarchy. And that's what Satan wants. So all these calls to defund the police is a doctrine of demons. And anybody promoting it is of their father, the devil. All right. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, To me belongeth vengeance and retaliation. Their foot shall slide in due time. Now the Lord says it's not going to happen when you want it, but it will happen. And the day of their disaster is at hand. God says disaster. And the things that shall, that shall come upon them make haste. So the Lord doesn't tell you how it's going to happen. He just says, it's my job. It's my vengeance. It's my retaliation. And it will happen. And that's where we have to be patient and wait for justice and wait for the vengeance of God. And I believe often this, this is postponed so that we can pray and get our heart right. Because <laughs> maybe, maybe what we want is vengeance on the next Apostle Paul. Maybe what we want is vengeance on that drunk driver that killed our grandma, but God wants to save them and use them as an evangelist. You don't know. God is a God of second chances, and sometimes we need to cool off and chill out. Amen. Some of you share with me after 9-11, you've realized how racist you were when you started looking at Muslims different, but yet Jesus Christ appears to Muslims way more than he shows up to Americans because Muslims seek God. And by implication, Americans don't. So when Muslims during Ramadan seek the face of God with all their heart, they end up ringing a bell in the spirit that causes Jesus Christ to walk in and manifest himself to them in a divine theophany that Americans don't get. And if you were to talk about, Americans would deny is not a real experience. So I would honestly tell you, Jesus shows up to Muslims at Ramadan way more than he shows up in American churches. So here we are being prejudiced against Muslims because of 9-11, because of some bad apples. And yet Jesus is showing up every Ramadan. And Muslims are converting to Christ and becoming great evangelists, greater than our own. So I just want to put all this in perspective, because right now we're an emotional raw nerve. And when you look big picture, it's hard to be emotional. When you look big picture, you just kind of step back and say, all right, I trust God. Show me how to pray today. When all you do is focus on your little sliver of humanity or your corner block, it sure is easy to want to burn your neighbor's house down (laughs) and feel justified in it. Here we see that vengeance and retaliation belongs to God, but this doesn't always happen suddenly with lightning bolts or hailstones from heaven or she bears or whatever you want to do. Many times the Lord's vengeance may look like protection being removed and things being permitted to come upon the guilty. That's what it looks like. We do not, excuse me, 
Either way, vengeance brings an appointed day of calamity. And we don't know when that is. We do not seek vengeance at our own hands. And you've got to be convinced of it and convinced of it. That doesn't mean we don't defend ourselves. But right now, I, I prophesied it a couple, I guess last Friday, that the devil wants to light a candle at both ends and burn us to the middle. And that's what he's expecting. He's expecting our nation to be burned down from within. And we have to resist that, pray and intercede. Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge. Sorry, Captain America. <laughs> Nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the famous verse that every progressive Christian takes out of context and bends the rest of the body of Christ to the perverse will. Jesus Christ quotes it. The New Testament quotes it multiple times. But the context is, don't kill your neighbor when you have every right to. And you don't get to hold a grudge. Instead, you're supposed to love. Now, how in the world we take that and we say, ruin yourself because you're supposed to love your neighbor? I don't get it. But that's progressism for you. Perverting the scriptures, telling us we're supposed to love the way they want us to love. The antithesis to vengeance is biblical love. In this context, loving your neighbor means that you forgive them, drop your grudge, and commend them to God. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Biblical love does not negate vengeance, though. We want to be clear on that. You can love your neighbor and let God get vengeance. Amen. And many times, if you're busy loving your neighbor, you might end up flipping a switch in your heart and you no longer want them to suffer. You want them to serve God with you side by side. Pastor Vaughn used to say, don't pray that you can get your enemy. Pray that God will get your enemy because when God gets your enemy, he's going to show them the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God. and might end up saving them at the same time. But the whole reason we are commanded to walk in love is really to save us, not our neighbor. <laughs> because we know hatred, variance, bitterness, strife, all that rots us from the inside out, makes us miserable. Biblical love does not negate vengeance. It just excludes us from metting it out. God promises to justly retaliate for us one way or another. I was talking with one dear lady, and uh, she was, had been in a hard situation for a long time. And I said, what do you want, ma'am? What is it you want? She said, I want justice. All right, I can pray that. I said, what's justice look like to you? She said, my enemy serving God beside me. And I told her, I said, ma'am, you are a much bigger Christian than me. Because if I were in your situation, I'd be telling God, you better stop me because I'm going to kill him. She said, I want justice. I said, okay. And something on the inside said, you should ask her what that means. Because to me, that means retribution by my hands. And I asked her, what does justice look like to you? How can I pray with you? She said, my justice is this man repents, gives his life to God and serves God beside me. Um, you're a bigger Christian than me because that's not what I think it should mean. <laughs> God promises to justly retaliate for us one way or another. Think about the early church terrified of Paul. And no doubt God shows up on the road to Damascus because of the prayers of the saints. They were probably saying, Lord, give us justice. Lord, give us vengeance. Lord, deliver us. And they're expecting God to kill them like he likes to kill wicked kings. And instead, God gives them vindication by converting Paul. 
And yet at the same time, it seems as Paul did reap what he had sown. He reaped hardship and persecution the rest of his life because that's what he had sown. He had been vindictive for the Jews. He suffered at the hands of Jews. So there, the spiritual laws apply even after you get born again. All right. Luke 18, 7 through 8. And shall not God avenge his own elect? That's us. Which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. So this is your crying out for vengeance and vindication. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. In the context of the parable about the widow demanding justice from a wicked judge, remember, she's going through the proper chain of command. She's a righteous widow. It's a wicked judge, but it's the only judge she can go to. She knows he's wicked, but she says, give me justice. She says specifically, avenge me now of my enemy. She's not doing it on her own hands. She's going through the court of law, which is how we're supposed to do it. And even though this is a wicked judge, she knows if she keeps harping for it, she'll get vengeance through the court of law. Jesus promised that the vengeance of God for his elect will happen speedily. Once again, we see vengeance in terms of judicial action. And that's what I want us to see over and over again is that it's not ours to exact. It's not ours to get. We're not, we don't march around saying, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my due. I'm going to get my just. When you do that, you negate God's hand in your life. And you yourself become the wicked sinner too. We either trust God with all of our life or we don't trust him much at all. And somebody told me once in college, he's either Lord of all or he's, Lord, he's not Lord at all. Romans 13, 3 through 4, and this is where our nation is at a crossroads right now, and we either pass this test or we'll horribly fail it. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. And we already said earlier in this Sunday school, there are bad cops, there are bad judges, there are bad school teachers, there are bad parents, there are bad kids, there are bad politicians, there are bad Walmart employees, there are bad engineers, there, there are bad doctors. They get sued for malpractice all the time. They're a bad car salesman. Every re arena of life has wicked people because people are wicked. We'll say, generally speaking, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. For he is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. This is talking about law enforcement. This is talking about an executioner, a judge, a lawyer, a military soldier. In Paul's time, he's talking about Roman soldiers. He basically said, do that which is right. You don't have to worry about the centurion of soldiers marching past your home. Were there wicked centurions? Absolutely. John the Baptist said, be content with your wages. Quit stealing from family members across the hillside. Yeah, there's wickedness everywhere. But if we start calling for a defunding of the ministers of God, you play right into the enemy's hand. 
Natural authority figures are ordained of God to keep the peace and execute vengeance upon the wicked. That's what uh, corporal punishment is all about. That's what modern day executioners are about. You got the death penalty. You're getting your vengeance. Uh, One, I was with a pastor who went to prison for several years for murder. He got born again in prison, led a revival in prison, and uh, because of the favor of God, got paroled early. You don't go to prison for murder and then just get out. But got out, had revival. He was having such revival in prisons, they decided they need, he had too much influence over the inmates. So the idiot warden said, we need to move him. So they transferred him to another prison. And guess what? God broke out over there too. <laughs> this is how stupid some law enforcement is. I just said, bring him to my prison. We, God can help my inmates. But anyway, so then he got paroled and then uh, became a youth pastor, then became a pastor and has a very large, successful ministry to his Assemblies of God. But he, he told us, he said, I totally believe in prison reform because it reformed me. He said, I believe sending crooks to prison because I got born again there and so did a lot of people in the revivals we had. He said, I'm not against prison and I'm not against people going to jail. Send them to jail where they can learn some penitence. Oh, that's good preaching right there. If you have done wickedly, one way to seek vengeance, or excuse me, if you've been done, if you have been done wickedly, one way to seek vengeance is to notify the proper authorities and allow the due process of law to punish the perpetrator. That's why the system is set up. Jesus added that we are to love our enemies and pray for them, but this still doesn't negate vengeance. We love and forgive for our sake, not theirs. I had a dear friend in college whose sister was murdered in the fast food uh, murders in the 90s in Nashville. Some of you old enough to remember when there was a mass uh, serial killer. And in Nashville in 97, 96, 97, there was multiple robberies at Captain D's and McDonald's and whatnot. And they were just murdering people. And my dearest friend, one of my dearest friends in college, his sister, who was 16, was one of the ones. She was tied up and shot in the back of the head, execution style, in the freezer at Captain D's. And I, my, his name was Wayne. And I remember praying with Wayne and being heartbroken for Wayne because he's 22, 23. His 16-year-old kid sister is dead senselessly. They caught the guy, and, and the whole family was working hard to forgive the murderer. And yet they still wanted execution, which I think the guy was eventually executed. There were several stays. I don't, I don't get that part of justice. I don't get that part of our judicial system. The guy murdered people senselessly, and he, he deserves a stay of execution, a postponement. I mean, we got all the evidence. He's on video camera. Why does he even need a trial? And yet we drug this thing out, I think, for 10 or 15 years before they finally executed him. And my friend was actually at the execution, and he said, I just wanted to see justice. But we forgave him, but he still needs to die. Yeah. To sit there and watch, I think they gassed him. Watch him die. All right. Closure. That's justice. Unless up is down to you and down is up. Now, the man could have been born again. And here's what we miss, especially in our nation right now, that God is not big enough to move on you. So then you got to move for yourself. That's where we are right now. It's called situational ethics. 
and it's a total devoid lack of faith in God. The man could have been born again in prison, even though he executed seven, eight, nine, ten people ruthlessly. He could have been born again in prison, and God moved mightily and delivered him just like the other guy who was a murderer, just like Paul, who was a murderer. There's a problem when we start, start trying to help God ourselves. Massive problem. Because we're not just enough. We're not righteous enough. We're not devoid of carnal emotions enough. We have to trust God. And the one thing we've forgotten as a nation, especially as church folks, we have forgotten prayer. We, we don't even know how to move God anymore on our behalf. And that's what Jesus said there in Luke. They cry out to God night and day. We don't see much of that anymore. We complain on Facebook night and day. Jesus added that we are to love our enemies and pray for them, but this still does not negate vengeance. It simply takes vengeance out of our hands and gives it back to God. And sometimes vengeance is that person gets born again and serves God, comes to you, repents, makes restitution, restoration of their own amends, means, and you get to serve God with them. And what a kick in the face for the enemy. For the man, the demon used to move upon now loves you, defends you, and fights for you. And that glorifies God. Only God could do that. Isaiah 59, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Does that sound familiar? It's talking about God. And as a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands, he will repay recompense. Pretty cool. This is where Paul gets his allegory of the armor of God. This is an Old Testament reference to the armor of God here. When God sees wickedness and injustice against his people, he is described as wearing a righteous breastplate, a helmet of salvation, a garment of vengeance, and a cloak of divine passion or zeal. Paul's teaching on the armor of God that we just covered in Vacation Bible School this week, it literally, the armor literally belongs to God because he wore it first. He, Paul does not allow us to wear a garment of vengeance. We all studied the armor of God this week in VBS. Was there a garment of vengeance anywhere in that armor? Belt of truth, gospel sandals, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. No garment of vengeance because it doesn't belong to us. The garment belongs to God alone. Vengeance belongs to God. Romans 12, 19, never take your own vengeance, but leave room for the wrath of God. Now that kind of entices us donkeys with the carrot. If you get your wrath and vengeance, you take it away from God. And I'd much rather see what God can do with his wrath and his vengeance. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's Paul quoting Deuteronomy 32, Hebrews 10, 30. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Here we have Paul and the author of Hebrews reminding us God is still a God of vengeance. Jesus didn't get saved at Calvary. He's still a God of vengeance. He's still a God of wrath. He still will repay. He'll judge his people and then make restitution where he finds appropriate. This takes faith. These New Testament verses quote Deuteronomy's law, indicating that God is still a God of vengeance. And I cannot stand the progressive heresies that say God is squishy, lovey, and he just accepts all people. God does not accept all people. He does not accept all behavior. 
He isn't good to everybody and he's not going to be good to everybody because not everybody fears him. This also means it's still not ours to exact, but his to demonstrate. And he promises to do so even in the New Testament. We leave room for wrath by loving our enemy and praying for them. That's how we leave room. If you want vengeance, pray for your enemy. If you want vengeance, ask God how to pray. We ought to slow down and get the wisdom of God for every situation. Lord, give me justice. Give me my plan. Give me my, what's my role in all this? What am I to do? And if it doesn't involve prayer, you're dead wrong anyway. It doesn't matter how wrong you've been done. If your plan of attack does not involve a lot of prayer, you're dead wrong. You're going to act on carnality. You're going to act on the whims of the culture. You're going to act on the whims of social media. And none of that is trustworthy. All right. Wrath and vengeance. Notice in Romans 12, 19, that vengeance is manifested through the wrath of God. This is demonstrated numerous times in the Bible. Vengeance manifests through wrath. So vengeance and wrath go hand in hand. So let's look at wrath for a moment. Nahum. When's the last time you read a verse out of Nahum? God is jealous and the Lord revengeth and is furious. Remember, he didn't get saved at Calvary. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Where's your huggy hippie Jesus now? Wrath and vengeance go hand in hand. Vengeance is the legal and just manifestation of God's retributive wrath, his retribution. Vengeance is the legal and just manifestation of God's retributive wrath. He's just and meeting it out. And you don't get to say, God, you're wrong. God, it's not fair. Never tell God it's not fair. Lest he look at you and say, you want some of this? Even children know, daddy's not happy. Just shut up and go to your room. <laughs> Let's look at some bullet points. All this still happens in the New Testament. Here's New Testament verses on vengeance and wrath. The wrath of God abides upon those who reject Christ. That's John chapter 3. The wrath of God abides continually upon those that reject Christ. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's Romans 1.18. The wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. That's said twice, Ephesians and Colossians. The word children there means purchase, possession, or sonship, or those who are a part of the family. It has nothing to do with children of darkness. This is a reference to children of God. The wrath of God comes upon God's kids when they're disobedient. That encourages us to obey The Lord promises to avenge any Christian defrauded by their brother or sister in Christ. That verse is worth reading in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. It says, do not go beyond means and defraud one another. For for this reason does the wrath of God come upon your brothers and sisters. God is a revenger of all such who do do such things. (laughs) So this kind of, we could teach this to tell our fellow church members, don't defraud one another. Don't embezzle money from one another. Don't come to church trying to get a business deal. The wrath of God will come upon you. The second coming of Christ will include vengeance upon the ignorant. That means the lost and the disobedient. That means the backslider. The second coming of Christ is with vengeance and wrath. 
The battle of Armageddon is called the winepress of the wrath of God. A lot of New Testament talk of wrath for God to have gotten saved at Calvary. We're living in a day where everybody wants to get theirs. You should just be quiet and seek God. Let God do it. Don't get in his way and don't mess him up. Lest he thump you. Amen. God has vials full of wrath in heaven. Just waiting. You don't want to accidentally knock one of those over. <laughs> Ready to be poured out on mankind in the final day. What was in that? Mm, nothing good. Quick, get that angel to go get a mop. <laughs> the following verses further reveal that vengeance is an act of divine justice. We're moving pretty good. Strengthen you, the weak hands. Confirm the feeble knees. Uh, Hebrews quotes that. Strengthen the feeble knees and the arms that hang down. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Those that are fearful, that would be to our nation right now. Those that are fearful, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance unless you get in the way and do it yourself. To those that are fearful, say, fear not. Behold, be strong. God will come with vengeance. We have got to realize if we got two options, fight for ourselves or let God fight for us. Your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. If we don't believe it, then we get to save ourselves with our own short little midget arms. Jeremiah 15, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in your long suffering. Know, ye, know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuked. I suffered rebuke. Avenge me of my persecutors. That's justice. Jeremiah 20. But, O Lord of hosts, thou that triest the reins, seest, uh, triest the righteous, and seest the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I opened my cause. You take your cause before God. You pray and petition God and say, Lord, let me have justice. Let me have vengeance by your hand. And watch what God does with it. Isaiah 47, 3. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet you as a man. That is, there will be no negotiating with me. This reference or these references to uncovered nakedness means that God's vengeance would manifest as God exposing all of Israel's sinful lifestyle. Sometimes the vengeance of God is simply his public exposure of everything we've been doing in private, resulting in great public shame. Vengeance is connected with deliverance, justice, and salvation. This is done in hopes of turning the guilty to repentance. God's vengeance can range from furious rebukes all the way up to eternal damnation and fire. That's the full gamut of vengeance, according to the Bible. Furious rebukes or eternal damnation. That's the spectrum and everything in between. But I want us to remember, as we've said over and over again in these teachings, that all judgment except for eternal judgment has the purpose of driving the guilty to repentance. Vengeance comes so that you would repent and begin to judge yourself and say, where did I go wrong? What did I miss? When people fall into calamity, they fall into judgment, your heart is supposed to say, let me take heed lest it come upon me as well. 
We don't rejoice when people fall into sin. We take note. We don't rejoice when people are judged or vengeance is met out upon them. We take note and we say, Lord, have mercy. I don't want that. We're all capable of this. We're driving down the interstate at 85 miles an hour and we see flashing lights and we're like, "Woo, they got it. Ooh, I should slow down before I get it. And we back off. (laughs) We understand how this works when we think it benefits us. That's the problem. We are selective in our application of Christian doctrine. The day of vengeance of our God. The final judgment is called the day of vengeance of God. Isaiah prophesies about it extensively. It is worth noting that the Bible begins with judgment and vengeance in the Garden of Eden, and it concludes with judgment and vengeance in the Revelation. Christ did not get saved at Calvary. It is only in understanding God's nature of judgment and vengeance can we begin to appreciate his mercy and forgiveness. The modern progressive Christian movement to minimize and erase God's judgment and wrath only works to cheapen the unmerited salvation of God offered to mankind. That is why whenever I smell progressive Christianity, I I resist it, I curse it, I preach against it, because it's making Jesus common and it's making our salvation common and cheap. Martin Luther said, how can I preach the goodness of God until I first preach the severity of God? How can I first preach salvation until I first preach judgment? How can I give you the good news until I first give you the horrible, wicked news? And here we are in this modern generation influenced by hippies and weird politicians. Love, 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 love your neighbor, love your neighbor. If I didn't burn your house down, I loved you. (laughs) Because I want vengeance. Amen. Isaiah 34, 8, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of retaliation. Can you imagine a whole year of retaliation? How much is God's wrath hot that it takes a whole year for him to cool off? And I'll destroy that, and you get destroyed, and you get destroyed, and you get destroyed, and you get destroyed, and emeralds on your pudundum, and lightning bolts on your goats, and fleas in your house. It's a year of retaliation. What else have we got, angels? We got a lot of stuff, Lord. Bring it. What else can we come up with for the wicked? Isaiah 61 The gospel proclaims the acceptable year of the Lord and the gospel, according to the prophecy of Isaiah 61, that Luke 4 quotes that Jesus preached everywhere he went. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel of good news. It includes the day of vengeance of our God. The gospel includes the day of vengeance of our God. Not all this huggy, hippie, progressive inclusivity junk. The gospel is the most exclusive thing on the planet. Because if you're not born again, you're going to hell. And if you're Christ's enemy, the wrath of God rests upon you continually. The day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Uh, He says, I have trodden down the winepress alone and of the people that there was none with me for I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. That's Isaiah 63 talking about the day of the revelation. And I will stain all my raiment with the blood of my enemies. That's not really a Sunday school image of Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said, I will stain my raiment with their blood. 
And we know from the, the eschatological scriptures, when the battle of Armageddon takes place, it's the winepress of God's wrath. He will stomp them. That's how you, the winepress, you stomp grapes. He equates his enemies to grapes, their blood to its juice, and it comes out because he crushes his enemy. The Bible says to the depth of blood will be a horse's bridle, five or six feet deep of human blood, where he destroyed the armies gathered against him. He will stain his garment in their blood, having destroyed humans in his wrath. But I thought Christ got saved at Calvary. I'm telling you, we're changing the gospel. Not you and I. This nation and its progressives and its seminaries are changing the gospel into another gospel and changing a Christ into a different Christ. And it's heresy. But it is so tantalizing to the pagan. He says, for the day of vengeance is in my heart. He's always thinking about it. And the year my redeemed, and, and they, uh, the year my, rede my redeemed has come. The year of my redeemed has come. Jeremiah 46, 10. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries. And the sword shall devour, and it shall be satiate and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts hath a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. <laughs> the sacrifice is going to be human lives in his wrath. Luke 21, 22, speaking of the tribulation, Jesus Christ said in the uh, temple discourse and in the, the Olivet discourse, for these be the days of vengeance that all the things which are written may be fulfilled. That's him talking about wars and rumors of wars and plagues and pestilence and famines and nation and ethnic group rising up against nation and ethnic group. He said, these are the days of vengeance. The Lord Jesus revealed that the times of the tribulation are days of vengeance. The tribulation is the ultimate demonstration of God's wrath. It is the climax of his vengeance and it will be just. May we humbly submit to our God and his daily corrections, lest we become partakers of his divine vengeance. Amen, 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 and amen. And then I threw in some other verses in there that I wanted to write out and look at, but there's just too much. If you will go and do a simple topical study on vengeance and wrath, you will discover Jesus didn't get saved at Calvary. We do. And he still gets angry with us. And he still resists us. And he still turns his face from us. And we want to make sure that's not how he treats us. We want to say, Lord, look upon us. Lord, love me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, judge me. A little bit every day. Don't let this thing build up with you, Lord. Judge me. Amen. Father, we thank you for a teaching on vengeance, your legal judicial right to destroy, punish, mete out harm and retribution upon your enemies and those that have hurt and harmed your people. And Lord, whatever you decide to do when you drop the divine gavel of judgment, that's between you and your righteous nature. Whether it's to save our enemies and convert them to the gospel and make missionaries out of them, or whether it's to destroy them, even as you have your enemies in times past, that's up to you. We just cry out to you for righteous justice and righteous judgment. Father, help us to honor you and serve you. We thank you for these teachings. Bless those that listen to it on Pod School in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.